Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast exploring the subtleties of living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, and here with me and my weekly guests, you can expect curious and brave conversations all centering around what it means to live into the process of awakening to our worth, wholeness, and power. We will talk about personal, collective, and spiritual freedom, riff on sovereign leadership, living in levity, and bridge the mystical with the down-to-earth and practical. There is not much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Today, I'm in conversation with Daje James, who is a story doula, creative director, marketing director, and brand strategist. And it'll be very clear to you that Daje not only does the work of social media, digital marketing, and branding for creative souls, but also is an artist a spiritual guide, and someone who is so on the journey of their soul. They're an artist, an entrepreneur, and weaves stories into branding. And this conversation with Daje opened up so many little portals into topics that I personally love to talk about. You are going to witness two souls get completely lost in conversation because One, you're going to hear that we share some similar human design open centers and closed sensors. So we kind of just spiraled off into some questions and we jump into topics from manifestation to asking questions around capitalism. What is the cost of my abundance? We talk about self-sovereignty, intensity, going after our needs, owning our own predator archetype that we each have within us. And then we dive into what it means to live as a creative process and to be a a person who has a brand, not being that brand, but letting that brand be a seal or an experience of your energy. So (laughs) as you can imagine, I had so much fun on this podcast episode. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Of course, leave a review. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, Message me on Instagram. I can't wait to hear what you felt perceived and are taking away from this episode. Let's dive in. Dejay, thank you so much for coming on Everything Belongs. I'm actually giddy to have you. (laughs) Same here. So you are a, you call yourself a storyteller doula. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, just that in and of itself, can you tell us about that? Because that's pretty epic. Yeah, actually, I was terrified to call myself that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have this practice of listening and checking in with my guides whenever I do a lot of things that I'm doing these days. Because <laughs> they're all really big and scary. And about 12 months ago, almost um, a year ago, they were like, okay, you can start thinking about yourself as a story doula because this is the work you do. You help creatives get their stories out into the world, which connects back to some stuff that like from years ago and years ago, um, but it also connects back to my heart of I just long to expose beauty in all of its messy and inarticulate forms by creating space for creatives to breathe in the process. Like that's my thing. Mm. So that's kind of where that title name, I don't know, was birthed from. It's so beautiful. Whenever I think of a doula, I think of someone who's like there for the mess. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. for the heart for where it feels like you know you're crying mind you i haven't given birth mm-hmm. to a human child so i'm just referencing friends <laughs> who have told me about their birth experience and I've seen someone in birth and Badula just like holding the container, holding the space mm-hmm. and reminding that person that they can fully unravel. Yes. <sighs> and in the creative process, that's so significant. So before we dive in, because I, I know we're going to have the most juicy conversation about creative process and manifestation and design But before we do, I want to know, because you're someone who seems to really honor the liberatory process Mm -hmm. alongside branding and marketing and storytelling and art. And one does not just stumble upon liberation. It is typically (laughs) something that they have a story behind. And so I'm curious about your story and how you have woven a life that includes all of these elements to create liberation for others. Absolutely. Um, I think the point of liberation for me began when I ran away from home to go to college. So secretly in the night, my mom, brother, and I packed a van that I paid for first to rent so that I could go to school. Um, and we drove away while my stepfather was working. And it's just kind of been an unraveling, this beautiful, exciting adventure that's been kind of a mess at a lot of points for me. Um, We got there by my mom when, I mean, she was a single mom, so when she remarried, we were so full of excitement. I was nine, my brother was 10, and we were moving into this house full of computers. My stepfather was a computer engineer. Um, And I just remember feeling so much excitement. We had LAN parties. Like, my brother and I just became total nerds. We would do, like, video game LAN parties. But then the dark underbelly of that was the, the religious aspect of being homeschooled. My mom and I began wearing dresses and skirts all the time. We were a part of um, a Baptist tradition called Independent Fundamental Baptist. And my great rebellion before the great leave (laughs) was buying an English standard version of the Bible. That was the rebellion, like having an English standard (laughs) instead of King James. Was it a King James only? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so as you can imagine, there are lots of complexities in that environment, lots of um, stories about masculinity and femininity that we, both my brother and I, took on. And leaving, I remember I had on a white and black oversized Jesus Saves t-shirt on. And as soon as we got to the first gas station, I put on a pair of jeans, the first pair of jeans I had worn since I was eight years old um, with a giant Jesus Saves t-shirt on <laughs> as we were leaving to take me to school. Which so. might be considered trendy now, you know, like there's something like throwback about that outfit that is like kind of cool but not uh, whenever you're escaping <laughs> fundamentalism <laughs> right but, you know I thought I was like I thought I was you know 
killing it. I thought I was killing the game. I was loving Jesus. I had on my, you know, my outfit, my fit, my pants, my jeans. I felt good. <laughs> I love it. So you, you weren't leaving Jesus behind. You were just like leaving the dresses, leaving uh, what seems yeah. like an oppressive environment. Oh yeah. I found so much liberation listening to uh, like John Piper and Mark Driscoll at that time. I was like, wow, I've discovered grace. <laughs> I haven't heard the name Mark Driscoll. Okay. So much is making sense about why whenever I see your work, I'm like, I know we are connected because j- both of them are such abusive pastors. What? And <laughs> they're, um, they embody like every bit of misogyny that you can possibly embody. Oh my gosh. And, and I mean, and I was like, this abuse feels familiar. Why do I love these pastors? They're both so angry. So obviously. Oh, upset. yes. Yes. But the resonance, isn't it interesting how, like, I remember gravitating towards it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I used to binge listen to them while working at Tropical Smoothie. Like, be in the back with my little MP3 player listening to Mark Driscoll and John Piper just preach at me for hours. Yeah. Literally same. Wild. Me at Panera, my first job. <laughs> <laughs> In high school doing the same thing. Like why my friends are like, why are you this way? I'm like, I don't know. I've just started no. fasting. Like which I think you know, this um it's really rare I find someone who like also indoctrinates themselves into such extreme religion. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because I, well, I'll share my experience is that I, you know, there was abusive home environment and I had one, my dad was very religious. My mom was not, um, but my mom, my mom's house is where the abuse was. Mm-hmm. And I indoctrinated myself. Also my best friend was Pentecostal. So she wore long skirts and wasn't allowed to cut her hair. And I started dressing like that. I started like growing my hair out. And my parents were like, what are you doing? Like they were terrified for me, but I just went full on into that extreme, you know, I didn't stay Pentecostal, but um, if Mm -hmm. you know, like IHOP, International House of Prayer, Bethel, I like fully aligned myself with that. Yeah. And also was like uh, going to a Baptist church, you know, they don't believe in speaking in tongues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yes, you know, right in the line, <laughs> I know that whole spectrum. Yes, <laughs> yes, and I haven't talked about speaking in tongues. I don't think on the podcast yet. But you know, having these intense speaking in tongues experiences, mm-hmm. which were very real, and oh, then yeah. trying to tell my friends at school like what's happening. I'm like, yeah, and, you know, and interestingly enough, the more people don't understand, the more it seems extreme. I became. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious, like, what your life was like as a youngster being so devout, because it seems like you really, really loved Jesus and theology. If you were into John oh. Piper, that's some, some oh, serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was super into I, systematic <laughs> theology. It was like, I was so excited as a 17, 18-year-old stumbling upon that. It's not oh, wild. <laughs> It's not wild to me because I understand that was my life. I'm like, indoctrinate me, please. Yeah, please give me something to hold on to that isn't what my reality is right now. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think that that 
when I think about my relationship to spirituality, that that is um, very much what it is. It's there's this line that I've always straddled. And are you familiar with human design at all? I am. Yeah. Um, I have a hope, an open head and an open anja. So, and I have a defined solar plexus. So always searching for something to take me out of the very real feelings that I was experiencing. And Mm. I didn't, it was almost like my spirituality became a drug um, where some people, they dive into alcoholism and they dive into other like narcotics or, you know, whatever it is. For me, it was the Bible. For me, it Mm -hmm. was spending hours and hours and hours um, worshiping Jesus, literally begging him to take me out of my body and with him into the heavens, speaking in tongues, trying to heal other people. And um, I mean, that's just, to be honest, that's what it was. It was Mm -hmm. an escape for me. Yeah. Um, So... That feels so resonant. Also, all, everything you shared about human design, I share all of those centers the same as you. And so that's, I'd never looked at it through that lens before. But it being, you know, something to help escape trauma and um, the addictive, especially for anyone who's ever been in a room full of people worshiping, speaking in tongues and dancing, yeah. you actually are high. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a high for sure. It's a transcendental experience. I mean, it is um, the sense of belonging, connection to spirit, to source. Mm -hmm. It's. I've tried to explain to people who've never been in those spaces Mm -hmm. just how potent and addictive it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, wow. Okay. And so I'm curious, you you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast your guides, and so I'm assuming you're no longer uh, listening to John Piper on the regular. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I went through a hard Bethel phase, and then yes. I was just like, okay, we're done. <laughs> so for context for anyone who's listening, and you're like, what are they talking about? Um <laughs> So there, are, there is a spectrum of uh, extreme versions of evangelicalism, and those spectrums honestly disregard one another as the legitimate versions of Christianity. So we've mentioned uh, fundamentalist Baptist, and they completely think that uh, charismatic Christians are absolutely out of their mind and are actually interacting with a false God and false Holy Spirit. And so it sounds like we both have interactions on that extremely legalistic Baptist side and that extremely Uh charismatic Pentecostal speaking in tongues, dancing, laying hands. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Totally. Okay, so you moved from that fundamentalist Baptist John Piper, Mark Driscoll side, then you went into Bethel, which still produces some of the most beautiful music ever. And Oh my God, I, yeah, <sighs> absolutely. Like, I honestly, I think, and I'm actually really grateful for all of it because I feel like it opened me up to myself in ways I never thought Yeah, I could ever access my own humanity. Like, for the first time I wanted to be in my body and experience God or mm-hmm. what I thought was God. And um, those experiences are very similar to ex- uh, ex- 
extra Christian. Like I, what am I trying to say? Like experiences that I've had outside of Christianity, uh, they're, they're all the same. It's all the same spectrum in my mind. Like those like taken up in your body, like being like breath work is freaking like, <laughs> like doing breath work for a session is like being in a worship service in some ways. Yeah. It's, kind of the same experience for me when I realized that it was like, oh, okay. So maybe like the dogma, maybe it mm. was uh, the trappings of uh, putting so many prescriptive rules on my body and myself that were holding me back from the goodness I could experience. I, I don't know. Who knows? It's all still mystery, but. Yeah. I'm curious how, uh, how you've cultivated inner safety because I, what I noticed that uh, fundamentalist religions or we're also seeing the rise of extreme beliefs right now. I'm seeing it on social media, which mm-hmm. happens in times of chaos when we don't know what the truth is. And we're kind of entering like a post truth era. Oh, then yeah. we see a collapse back into dogma, fundamentalism, legalism, mm-hmm. um, because it feels really safe. And so I'm curious because I've noticed a similarity myself and that moment when you're, you know, you finally surrender and worship to speaking in tongues, to being fully, there's a, I, it's hard to describe, but I think you probably know what I'm talking about. That moment where you're like holding back the expression and yeah. then you almost enter into the fullness of the worship oh, and yeah. there's a letting go. And I, in meditation, it's like, yes. I can get there so quick now. Yes. I, I was literally just going to say, it's just like being in meditation. It's, yes. There's, there's a point where you, like, you're in your body, and then there's also this point where you're fighting not being in your body. You're, like, there's almost like your mind is, like, fighting with reality a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you just let go, and you're looking beyond, and you, you're, like, you become a part of the awareness almost. Yeah. And it's so magical. It's it so, is magical. It's so magical and healing. I love it. <laughs> Have you, um, I'm asking because this is a, a personal like realization I've had is without the structure, mm-hmm. I've had fear of going back to that place because of how lost I became in the dogma, how lost I became in um, that container was the only place that could hold that level of transcendental experience. Mm-hmm. So there was something anchoring about the legalism that it could actually create the structure to hold it. And I'm curious what, what has become that new structure for you that feels expansive mm-hmm. yet secure for you to be able to interact with your guides and have these experiences that not, you know, completely become out of your body because that can mm-hmm. happen. Oh yeah. I've yes. Um, I've had, a, I've had kind of a history with, going from structure structure to structure, I think. Um, and I think it's been only until recently, maybe the past couple of years, and I've been able to not necessarily let go of structure, but to take in all structures and then not identify with any of them. Just to say, this is the isness of what is, and these are all sense-making tools and mechanisms that we use to try to understand the phenomena of being vibrating cells. We are vibrating cells uh, and we have, we breathe and we engage with each other and 
I don't know if there is a right system anymore. Mm. The amount of self-trust to be able to come into that place where it's not looking external for the system that can hold it, but being able to hold it within yourself. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to cultivate that? Because breaking down those systems of evangelicalism, which also include patriarchy, white supremacy, like all of these systems yeah. that we're breaking down culturally, it's like a microcosm of that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I think... You know, I don't know how long it's taken me. It's, I feel like I'm still in it. I feel like I'm still breaking it all down, um, especially in the context of trying to figure out my relationship to activism right now um, and not identifying as an activist or really just kind of loosening my grip on my relationship to identity, period which sounds really like, oh, you're in the dark. Like, who are you if you don't have an identity that you hold on to? Um, Which is the question I've asked myself. But I could just be me. I could just be uh, a fractalized perspective of the divine in this body. Mm. It could be a soul that has traveled through time and space in many different lifetimes to be here. I could be a star seed for all. I could be an alien for all I know. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But like there is kind of a, there. I, I love the idea that maybe I'm a story inside of this body and mm. I have an arc that I get to go on. And what if that is enough, right? What if my body is telling me what my arc is and I can listen to it? Who knows? Mm. Like, I don't know. I, it's kind of play for me at this point personologies, systems, it's just all play, all story. We're in a paradigm. And I I kind of like that a little bit. It loosens up. uh, I mean, everything feels so serious right now. There's a lot of really serious things happening. Oh, yeah. And to um, people ask us about my sexual orientation all the time Mm -hmm. because now I'm with a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I still get friends like, but like how, like it was, it was coming out day last week and then it was international lesbian day. And you know, I was like, I, I don't know if it's important and, you know, some people feel it's really important to identify. And I've really had to figure out what is my stance for mm-hmm. myself on this without saying, you know, it's wrong for anyone else to identify. I don't really believe that. I think people, I think identity gives us a framework to understand ourselves and to help make change in the world. And, you know, it's something I wrestle with, with, with privilege, knowing that I have such an opportunity to create change because the privilege I have for the queer community, um, how, how to identify. And I've gotten some feedback from people that are like really apt to help me identify, like really want me to take a stance at as like, what, but what are you? And I'm curious if you've experienced that this year with the intensity that's gone on and the different identities that you hold in society, if there's been pressure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I tend to, in this season, not really take the pressure seriously anymore. I was like, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a black, queer, bald, femme, I, <laughs> I like that you named bald as part of the identity. I I just yeah, there is like you know, 
people don't like mystery. They, they don't like mm -hmm. the enigma. They don't like people who refuse to identify with anything. And that's fair uh, because, you know, there can be a sense of discomfort in the mystery or the liminal space. Mm -hmm. But I think I identify with being a liminalist. I am all things and no things. I yeah. exist and I don't exist at the same time because what is existence? Asking those really hard and beautiful questions. I'm, I identify with non-binary, being non-binary, and I also identify with being a woman. And I identify with being queer, but I also identify with being pansexual or like whatever it is. Like it's, they're just words that we use to thread a story together of how mm -hmm. we want to do this thing called life. And I'm just like, at this point, it's all play. And I know I keep, it's, it is serious. And there are things going on that are just like, of course, I, I am taking this to heart. I'm, I'm listening. I'm taking it into my body. But then, like, I get to exhale, too, and I get to allow myself to just not be defined by any of these things mm -hmm. or choose. Like, I choose love. I choose gratitude. I choose the tension. I choose, you know, whatever I want, actually. <laughs> well, you're a story weaver, so of course. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say <laughs> which way. It's almost like after my after my deconstruction I realized like all of the the paradigms we're operating from like we, we made up. Oh, yeah. And I was like, we made this shit up. I can we just it up. make it up. And like, <laughs> it was truly like there's um, a, a part of that process that you, like, just are like, I'm becoming nothing. This is terrifying. Like, God just died to me. I just died to me. Everything is dying. And then, like, it's almost like if you go through the nothingness. Yes. Then it's just, like, a joke. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a joke, and it's kind of a, a play. Yes. God, God becomes everything at that point. Yeah. Like, or God becomes nothing. I I don't know. I struggle with <laughs> open anja, open head center. At this point, I'm like, why does it even matter? Um, well, clearly you and me are going to spiral into into the nothing <laughs> together because that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. And I'm like, okay, so let's find what's true about us. Also, nothing is definitely true. And then yeah. it can get in this existential place. And I, I did a mushroom ceremony like yes. in the spring in the it. beginning of quarantine. And um, I asked, my intention was to see myself. And there were some really beautiful parts that I feel like I did connect with my higher self. And then I saw the tiny dancing devil. Mm. And he was about the size of an elf on the shelf. Mm. And he was doing this really silly dance. And he was like, life's a joke. Yes. It's a joke. Yeah. Like, it's all play. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. And some people might have issues with that, but it oh, was yeah. like this. I think about that little dancing devil. He was like a trickster. Yeah. And I, I remember telling my girlfriend, I was like, I asked to see myself and I saw the devil. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> but there was some truth to it of like, you know, these are the things that we're trying to hide from ourselves that we can, we can be those shadowy bits that we've been afraid to be. And especially yeah. right now, there's a lot of meaning making around who is the bad person. Oh, yes. 
And without realizing, I think when you've been in the the throes of evangelicalism, you realize how easy it is to be that that way and feel so righteous, (laughs) feel so good about that, Mm -hmm. that it breaks down those barriers. Um, And then again, choosing the story that I want to create, I'm going to live from. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you get past the nothingness into play and then you start creating, which is like literally what you do. (laughs) It just gives me so much joy. (laughs) It it gives me joy too, because then it does become play and we can take it less seriously and we can share our work and share our stories. Okay. So I want to talk about that, but I want, before I do, is there anything more about any, like anything we just shared about that you want to touch on? I just, I love that you brought up the dancing devil uh, because this idea, I was actually just talking to a really close friend about um, what it looks like to own and heal the predator archetype in all of us. Like, what does it look like for me to heal and own my predator archetype? Because it's in me, it's in there, my shadow self, the parts of me that have to consume to stay alive. I can't exist and not be a predator. I mean, when we put life on a hierarchy of who gets to live and who gets to die, well, what about the plants? What about the trees? What about, right? Like, I yeah, that's a probably a deeper thought than... I don't know this if the podcast fun. community is ready. <laughs> no, we are ready. I mean, I honestly, I start this oh. podcast for myself and I want to, I want to talk about this and whoever is like, what the fuck, um, <laughs> you know, turn it off. <laughs> I don't care. Um, because this is really interesting to me because I've been doing a lot of work around anti-racism and realizing mm-hmm. in my existence, there's no way for me to not cause harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I exist and I will cause harm. Like mm-hmm. I have to eat. Like I buy clothes, I, you know, and even if I buy them in the most ethically resourced way, then I'm like so pretentious and righteous about it that that vibration also is harmful. And so yes. <laughs> yes. and this eradic- uh, trying to eradicate myself yeah. of the bad parts is the mm-hmm. denial that the predator exists within me or the shame yes. that it does. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about this. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the question is. Can you share more? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like, I have been asking a lot of questions about an archetype that I have recently hooked myself to, and now I'm trying to figure out how do I not identify with this, which is anti-capitalist. Are we, are we, are we sure we're ready? <laughs> I want to go into this because capitalism has a lot to do with the creative process, which we're going to get oh to. Oh my gosh. And so yes. I want you to full on bring it, if, yeah. if you want to. Yeah, because when we, when we think about capitalism, we think harm. We think harm and gain through harm. Um, we think slaughter. We think slavery. We think all of these like, stories that have spun out from capitalism. And But then also what we don't often talk about is internalized capitalism, which can show up as poverty, which can show up as a fear of succeeding, which can show up as fear of abundance, which can, which can show up as, you know, when people do their little manifestation rituals, they're like, you know, some arbitrary number is going to save me from 
you know, starving or save me from, you know, if I could just have, you know, a little bit of capitalism, I'm going to be okay. And then like the rest, like if I could just have a hundred K, like what is enough, right? Like if I could just have a hundred K, I'll be fine. If I could just do a, you know, five figure month <laughs> entrepreneur community, <laughs> I'll be fine. And then, you know, the rest is capitalism, and it's like, what are these arbitrary lines that we're setting? <laughs> Where is this coming from? Um, and what is required to get there? And what are you willing to do to get there? Questions that don't necessarily need answers, but maybe we could ask, right? Um, questions I'm asking, like, what is anti-capitalism? Um, and, you know, what is the cost of my abundance? What is the cost of my creative process? I've been thinking a lot about failure lately and I've been thinking a lot about how, uh, how failure is just an indication of um, going through something. It's like really kind of like an arbitrary, too, it's like an arbitrary metric. Uh, who is, how are we measuring failure? I think about an empty bank account, which I've had an empty bank account so many times. Uh, I'm like, why do I feel like a failure when I don't have money? If I have food, if I have, why do I feel like a success when I do have money? When I have maybe lost relationships or, you know, so what are the costs? Um, and what, of, what about those costs require us to take and become predators in our own species? I, just questions, you know what I'm saying? Like, just asking questions. Yeah, questions necessarily without perfect answers, which is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Back to and the liminal. I, <laughs> yeah, the liminal. I think I I talk a lot about like I actually had a branding coach once like try to help me define what it is I do, and I'm like, like I think you're a spiritual teacher, and I'm like, but all I want to do is just tell people that the questions are the answer. Like, how is that mm. a a way? to teach. And, but yet I actually really believe that the questions are the way and that the questions mm-hmm. usually, even my journaling is like question after question after question. And that mm-hmm. satisfies me yeah. in some bizarre way, Yes, <laughs> but not everyone feels uh, so comfortable with these questions because mm-hmm. they, they force us to exist in a kind of, uh, like you said, a liminal space. And mm-hmm. then every choice that we're making, we're answering the questions with our choices. Oh yeah. Regardless if it's the right answer. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, say right, really like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Because even in the anti-racist conversation, I'm really, I'm really trying to show up for that work. And I'm realizing that depending on who I listen to, the answers mm-hmm. are different. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really going to require some self-sovereignty. Yes. Because people are saying, regardless of what the topic is, the way of act, which which activism is anti-capitalism, the way to do that is going to be different depending on the teacher, depending on the perspective, depending on the socioeconomic class. Oh, yeah. So there's the amount of self-sovereignty required to navigate any of these conversations. And I actually, to speak to in particular, the white women who want to get it so perfect and not cause harm ever. That's, you know, the, the identities I'm coming from. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how I'm starting to feel. Um, because not to say I don't want to do the work. I actually really do. And mm. without self-sovereignty, we're actually just perpetuating the same harm that's yes. been done. Yeah. 
Um, and same thing with capitalism things, same thing with, uh, being a predator because Mm. as women, we don't want to identify with being a predator. Oh, for sure. And, and yet, yet here we are lionesses, all of us. What do you think the benefit of looking at the predator archetype within ourselves? Because we do, I believe we do all have that archetype. Mm-hmm. What do you think the benefit of looking at ourselves through that lens is? This goes to the intensity conversation. We, yes. We're going to talk about um, maybe it's self-sovereignty. You own yourself. You're, you're hungry? Eat. You're thirsty? Drink. You need something? Go get it. Ask for what you need. You are lonely? Create community. Be willing to risk. Right? And that's all a part of the predator archetype. It's making peace with the fact that you need. Women get written off as needy all the time in relationships when, and this is like, this is gender binary bullshit, but (laughs) like how we're raised. It's how we're raised. It's like friends get written off as needy and emotional all the time. But I'm like, you sad? You need to cry? Grab a tissue. Sit down. Own yourself. Own what your body needs to thrive. We need protein. We need air. We have to take from, and, and this is the thing is like, I feel like I'm learning this from, from, from being in nature, learning it from my guides and my ancestors, even who were powerful uh, indigenous women and West African women and, you know, men too, but all of them, all of them teaching me that the earth is an ecosystem and she's not asking us to stop taking from her. She's asking us to honor her. She's asking us to honor what we take, honor what we feed ourselves with. You just said so many things that I'm, I'm curious if we actually cause more harm by pretending not to have needs, mm. by pretending we in living in self-suppression, we're not actually causing less harm. And that's, I think that I think this is what I'm seeing white women reconcile with is like, but we've been trying to be perfect and we've been trying to deny our needs and we've been trying to get smaller and like all of this. Um, it's like a hypo relationship with need, yeah. a hypo relationship with sovereignty. And we've been led to believe that we will cause less harm if we become nothing. <laughs> and yet here we are still causing harm, still taking, still consuming and somehow being, um, I hate to use this word, but a victim to it, mm-hmm. uh, because that's, that's how I have felt to just mm-hmm. for myself. I have felt like a victim to my own perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And in a way that's a system that has, you know, caused me harm and has also led me to believe that I am only a victim and not also a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't go both ways when it actually does, mm-hmm. even if I'm in total denial of it. Have you seen the Nexium documentary, The Vow? Mm-mm. I have not. Oh, I have chills thinking about it. <laughs> it is a documentary about an MLM that is based in self-help 
that turns into a sex cult. And through uh, using NLP tactics to rewire the brain to not see harm. And there was one character in it, Allison Mack, who is like the lead in Smallville. And she becomes like the woman ringleader of the sex cult. And I actually really identified with her because I'm, I'm watching her through this documentary and I only have one episode left and I won't spoil the whole thing, but just watching her, her personality, she's so identified with her own innocence and so Mm. identified with the maiden archetype with being young and cute and sweet that it's like, not only did anyone not expect her to be a leader of a sex cult, but she couldn't own that in herself, her own, her own need for power. So she buddied up to a man who actually exploited her need to be mm-hmm. worthy. Mm-hmm. And it was all because of her, like, I believe her own denial of mm-hmm. what was within her. And that's like, mm-hmm. to me, that made into mother that like the mother becomes fucking fierce. Yeah. And owns that. Like, she's, she's like, you're not going to fuck with me. Yeah. And whenever we never make that shift, mm-hmm we, those parts of us don't go away. They just come out sideways as we deny them. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Me over identifying with my softness is how it shows up for me. I'm like, you know, I'm really intense actually. And every person on Tinder that I've ever given time for a date, (laughs) it's like, you're really intimidating. Do you know that? Oh, really? Oh, no, I knew that. I, I, I think knew that. Like, <laughs> so that's like the benefit of hiding your intensity. There's no benefit. <laughs> There's no benefit. I feel stifled. Yeah. It's just going to come out later. It's code. It's like codependent. Like me trying to snuggle up to somebody to see me as worthy because I'm soft. Yeah. I'm soft and I'm strong actually. I'm soft and I'm strong and I'm allowed to be here in my duality. Mm. What a novel thought it would seem, but we are like, sometimes you're the victim and sometimes you're the predator. Mm. There's, there's no, there's there. You, we gain, I gain nothing from denying the fact that I was ever a victim And I gained nothing from denying the fact that I was ever a predator and that sometimes I still am both at the same time. Hmm. That's being in the body. (laughs) Yeah. What? Like these identities? Yeah. I'm so, I'm like lit up because this is wholeness. And when we do wholeness work, (laughs) which is which is shadow work, you know, it's, yeah. and we're, we're, we're all like, it's the inner child. I'm like, yeah. And it's the inner motherfucker. Like it's, yes. it's both of them. And, yes. And this is why I'm seeing so many women, clients, people who take my programs, myself, everyone I know, um, spiral around the boundaries because boundaries feel sometimes like causing harm and people do have a reaction to them. And the reason why I've not wanted to set boundaries is because I don't want anyone to have that feeling of oh, like, Oh shit, I did something I shouldn't have done. And in that fierceness, like I've, I've, when people have set boundaries with me, whenever I was, you know, in even still, sometimes it hurts, it stings. Yeah. And 
Yeah. And it's supposed, yeah, it's supposed to. And the discomfort with our own ability to cause that sting Mm -hmm. is keeping us from protecting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like you said, this is Mm self-sovereignty. So you, you said the victim and the perpetrator. I know, I know zero good stories Mm -hmm. where, where people aren't willing to be both Mm -hmm. like a story that doesn't include that arc of reclamation of all parts of ourselves is like, a really shitty story. Yeah. So can can you talk about I'm curious to like guide the conversation towards creativity, writing a good story, expressing a good story because it's what I'm gathering is it includes owning all parts of ourselves. Yes. But this is the manifestation conversation. Um manifestation is really tricky kind of a tricky conversation in our culture right now because a lot of people's associations with that word is that, um, you know, we're out here, you know, trying to vibrate our way into yachts. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are out here like, I'm trying to vibrate my way into a mansion right now. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, go on. But when you think about the actual word of manifestation, you think about the word creative process or creativity or you are, you are bringing something into being, accessing the God nature. So then we also break down the duality between, well, who is God and who is human? And you begin to like come into this blended self that is in the liminal space. Of like I am a fractalized perspective, I'm like an individuated point of this godness, this isness, this beingness. I am with my own breath. Hebrew in the Hebrew, the word Yahweh isn't actually a word, but it's a transliteration of the sound that we make when we're breathing. And that word Yahweh in Hebrew literally means also I am. So when you think about creative process and you think about manifestation and you think about being in the body, the body is a creative process. So what happens when we own that fully? What happens when we own the creative process and we say, this is, this is mine. I'm allowed to make something new because I am in this body that is literally co-creating like with the universe. Like my, like we are literal, like templates of vibrating cells as Deepak Chopra describes us deep. Like we are, we're vibrating atoms walking around relating to each other and all the time we're creating ourselves anew our bodies literally like we don't have the same bodies we had seven years ago we're just templatized atoms (laughs) it's so freaky and cool and science it's so sci-fi i love it um so we're this is a creative process this is a creative process. Things die in us. Things come alive and they die and they come alive. We inhale and we exhale. And what if we said, okay, so in the middle of all of that, what if I lived in a yacht for like 10 months? Or for me, it was, what if I went on tour for a month and then it happened? And then I was like, well, what if I did get my first five figure month? 
And I literally went from living in a trailer to living in a house and buying a car and having a five-figure month within three months. Not even three, like two months, month and a half. It was like, oh, okay, well, this is a creative process. Manifestation is not about, uh, you know, how healed you are, which can be the conversation sometimes of, it can be confusing. It's not about how healed you are, but how much grace you give for your healing, maybe. How much allowance you give for the fact that you are literally a template of vibrating atoms deciding to be you. I, I don't know, how you, however you want to describe it. This is like so exciting to me because <laughs> I'm seeing what I saw in, in Christianity as far as purifying ourselves before we're worthy mm. oh my god happening in the in the self-help community or and also in the therapy communities of like i'll be worthy when i heal mm. all of these traumas i'll be worthy for that when i finally reprogram my brain to like be worthy enough to manifest the thing and like what what if like what i'm hearing you say is like you're just not judging yourself for your wants yeah no i have desires oh, oh my god i want to you know i want a boo you know what I'm saying? I want to, I want to boothang and I want to like have a farm uh, in the mountains surrounded by trees with big open windows. I want that. Mm-hmm. What's wrong? With I'm not needy for wanting to have a vibrant, committed relationship. Yeah. You know, we judge ourselves for these really basic ass things. <laughs> well, and it's interesting to hear you say, I identify and then identifying with anti-capitalism and also having a house has been really nice. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, having clothes that aren't falling off of your body within three months that aren't, you know, shredding in the washing machine. Yeah. It's not, you know, also not like you don't have to buy clothes that are made by exploited workers because they're cheap. That's nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I de- desire that. Can I own it? You know, I desire to have money in my bank account. <laughs> To be able to buy food, vegetables that are grown locally. That's good. Yeah. So when you're, I mean, you will literally help people weave their stories to Mm -hmm. share with the world, to help them create a life that feels regenerative and sustainable Mm -hmm. and as an art form. And so what I'm hearing is it's this overflow of owning all parts of yourself, owning your own human process, owning your own wants, and then also sharing that magic with the world mm-hmm. as an act of like, uh, that feels really cyclical and regenerative to me. And I'm curious as you're working with clients, cause you do some, some branding work, you do storytelling mm-hmm. work, how this translates to things like social media, to uh, <clears throat> business. Yeah. In my work with clients, especially um, in Brave School and in Founding Space, the work that we do in the beginning is to realize what the brand is. So brand, we're not cows, we're not cattle, we're not owned by anybody. That we are free in our bodies and we are free to use our voices however we wish. And so the rules of capitalism no longer apply. The algorithm is a literal joke. And you can do whatever, whatever you want, actually. So let's imagine that. So with some of my clients, when it's appropriate, we start with a big dream. We start with what, what would you 
What would you have if you had all the resources? And we begin to realize that that actual um, big dream is a lot more attainable than we think it is because sometimes we just need permission to make the connections of what do we need to do to get there, right? What are, what, is the, what are the required steps? Sometimes it's sitting down and owning the fact that we're afraid. Sometimes it's, that's like 80% of the work. Sometimes it's sitting down and owning the fact that, okay, we need to earn a little bit more money for this project to happen. Um, or we need to restructure a framework, which this is like brand strategy work, right? Like sometimes we need to restructure the business model because I'm exhausted and like my energy body type does not support, you know, cold calling everybody and like going and emailing people, cold email. Like I'm, you know, for example, I'm a projector, human design, back to that conversation. It's my human, my human design does not support a lot of marketing things. <laughs> so how can I find success, which is my signature, in order to do the work that I feel called to do? It's like, oh, restructure my, uh, let's restructure my business model so that I, my voice is free and I can own the parts of myself that are afraid of success and afraid of being seen and then like succeed and be seen. Right? So it's, it's, a, it's I think that branding is honestly just a lot of fucking shadow work. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about that because I, um, I'm a really visual person mm. and I've, my, the story I tell myself is that um, I'm not being real because I like things to be curated. Mm. And I, I've realized that beauty is one of my highest values and I mm. actually love like something that I really want is when people interact with any of my work, I want them to have an experience because they might not be interacting with me and my personal energy in person. Mm-hmm. But if my energy is infused into the colors and the pictures and the fonts, like that feels like an experience with someone mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're primal beings, you know, if you were with me, you could smell me, you could, you could experience the sensory experiences. So how can I infuse that sensory experience Mm -hmm. in a way that feels like art? And I've had to really unhook from the idea that that is fake uh, because because that's like a really big fear of mine of like being perceived as not real. And like, it's not really me. It's a thing that I'm creating to evoke the feeling of me mm-hmm. in the work. Yeah. It's a signa. It's a signa. And when we can go through capitalism, like through the, the, the capitalistic idea of what branding is, where we think that branding is the packaging, we go through mm-hmm. that image, like based consciousness. And onto the other side, we see the signa. And the signa is, is, is a really magnificent tool that we can use to, um, to leave parts of ourselves all over the universe, right? Like you seal that with your approval. It's like, this is mine. I own it. Like this is, a, this is an extension of me. Experience it. Like I love a, I love a, a well-designed home too. I love a a cute feed, like the best of us. I like good photos. You know, I'm here for all of that. Good grain. Um, Who is it? Dionne Ivory. She's one of my favorite photographers, black women in good grain. I love all of that. 
it just lights me up on the inside to to gobble up really beautiful visuals but the visuals aren't the person they aren't uh, the the value of the thing they're just extensions communication tentacles arms that say does I, I want to resonate with you and if you resonate with me join me in this you know big creative act of you know transaction and purchasing and blah 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 but like it, it, like when we think about it as like this is the signa the signa is like a really old and ancient tool of communicating that you know I was here I'm a part of this I'm allowed to be and mm. I'm so glad you're here too welcome mm. So could you define Cigna? I'm, what I'm inferring is that it's like the seal. It is yeah. like the, the essence, but could mm-hmm. you define it? Yeah. So a Cigna is like a sign, right? So it is that like seal. It's a sign of approval or it's a sign of presence, right? Mm. That you can associate to some, some idea or, or person or thing. Um. I think of, I used to be a barista in a third wave coffee shop (laughs) way back in the way. And latte art, we thought of it in this environment. We thought of latte art as the signa. It's not, it's, it's not going to be the thing that uh, determines whether or not the latte is going to be good, but it is a seal that care and quality was put into this work so mm. it's not the thing of it thing itself but it's more of just a communication tool that allows us to relate to the thing so you I, yeah i love that care mm-hmm. and quality mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm thinking back to this entire conversation all the like the places we touched on and if I could like the essence of this conversation to me is you exist like mm-hmm. <laughs> you communicate like you exist mm-hmm. and all parts of your existence belong because here you are mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and that includes the ways that you're not proud of perpetrating harm that includes the ways that you have desires that includes self-expression that includes the gift you have to offer that includes that you need to consume it, in, it includes all of you. Mm-hmm. You exist. Yes. <sighs> yeah. You know, before we move on to any rapid fire, is there anything else around the conversation of branding mm-hmm. and communicating yourself to the world, your gift to the world that you want to share? I, one of the things that comes up with my clients, and this, this is just a really quick thing, is that a lot of the times we think a lot about what other people think of us. And that's the, that is the, sometimes the motivator for pursuing a branding conversation. As an artist or entrepreneur, you want people to perceive you a certain way. Um, but when you get into the work of like really like slow branding, right? Um, pausing for a second and yes, the community is important. Um, and in a lot of ways we orbit the work that we do around bringing our medicine to the culture. Um, But what matters the most from my experience and from what I've seen and what matters the most in my work um, to me is that, you know, other people, people will come and go 
audiences, quote unquote, will come and go, communities will come and go, but what matters most is that we stay true to our own wiring. Trust your wiring, trust the way that you're stacked up and allow that to be so. Your medicine is going to shift and change. How you present the medicine is going to shift and change. But your relationship to yourself as the creator of that thing, that's the eternal peace. That is so beautiful. Thank you for that reminder. Mm -hmm. This has been so fun. Okay. (laughs) Are you ready for some rapid fire? I am. You've touched on this, but what is your spiritual background? Independent fundamental Baptist Christian turned uh, Pentecostal something. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Charismatic something. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How do you know when you know? I feel it in my body, in my my, uh, solar plexus. Mm. What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? All of them. (laughs) (laughs) We've entered into the liminal space of nothingness. (laughs) What are you most enjoying learning right now? I enjoy learning about um, the way that I love. Okay, this is not deep at all, but I love learning about my taste for sweet things right now. Just like redeveloping my taste for sweetness. I love my vitamin gummies and I love the candy that someone sent me in the mail today. I just, my relationship to delight is really intriguing to me right now. Yeah. You know, as um, my girlfriend studies Ayurveda Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm, a very vata pitta constitution mm-hmm. and prefer pungent, bitter and uh, salty flavors. Mm. And so I, I actually really resonate with like, I don't gravitate naturally towards sweetness, mm-hmm. like in anything. Yeah. Oh yeah. And do you really? Oh yeah. Because I will eat a jar of olives like in yes. one sitting. That's me all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had this idea that like, you know, that was a good thing. About uh-huh. me. I didn't really, I didn't really want the sweet things, mm-hmm. but then seeing how I prefer bitter, salty, pungent things, not just in food, but in like, in general, <laughs> um, the, the sweetness is word. a medicine. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, this can be playful and candy yes. and fun. And exactly. Yeah. So some Skittles, I'm into that. Do you like Skittles? I do like Skittles. They're do you have great. a favorite Skittle color? The, the purple for sure. Purple. Mm-hmm. I'm more of an orange girl myself, but <laughs> okay. What does grace mean to you? Allowance. Mm-hmm. What is your go-to coffee shop order? Black coffee. Even if I have a free drink, I get black coffee. And you don't add anything to it? No, I know I'm that person, but. Yes. <laughs> great. I love a good cup of black coffee. Not necessarily every coffee shop has yeah. a good- black coffee very true yeah last question is what do you want i want to be free in my body all the time it's so beautiful if people want to find you and explore more about what you're up to what you're doing where can they go they can go to they can hang out with me on instagram at the story doula 
um, and they can travel to the storydoula.co to find links to all the other things. So good. Thank you so much. Mm. Yes. Thank you so much, Madison. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF, and members-only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on Everything Belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.